0: certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at Lucent Perth.
1: Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by you think oh god is she going to be the next victim? Now one man stands
2: accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years.
0: Never before has such a complex case been before our courts. In this bonus episode of Claremont in Conversation, we're gonna run through the evidence so far. I'm Natalie Bonjolo with the West Australians, Tim Clark, and from Channel 7, Alison Fan. Hi guys. Hi. Hello. Okay, so in this podcast, what we're gonna try and do is bundle up what you've heard so far into a chronological timeline. So we're thinking we're gonna start at the start, and what we first know about the man accused Bradley Edwards Tim, can you uh, take us back eight years before the first abduction, that's Sarah Spears, to 1988?
2: Yeah, so this is when the prosecutions say that Mr Edwards' life of crime began, if you like. Um, He was just out of school, um, just started working at Telstra, only a couple of years, um, and had up until that time lived in a suburb called huntingdale mm-hmm. um which is uh sort of southeast ish of of perth not far outside the cbd but certainly not one of the uh the more affluent areas of of perth um at that time uh, or just leading up to that that time there'd been a series of um break-ins prowler incidents they were called in the huntingdale area Um, all very similar um, and all quite strange Um, and but so noteworthy that the police had actually put a little team together to look into them Mm -hmm. and this then led up to February the 15th 1988 when um, a young girl was asleep in her bedroom Um, she was uh, a teenager at the time and someone broke into her parents house pulled the cord from the phone line the landline out of the wall shut her door behind himself and then basically jumped on her in her own bed as she slept she woke up this young lady now a woman gave evidence to this effect that she woke up to feel a weight on her either side of her was groggy was sleepy um, had a notion that it might have been her boyfriend who she um, spent the day with valentine's day with um, but then when she leaned back to feel his face felt the stubble knew that her boyfriend at the time and had a shave and so i realized it wasn't him and she was being attacked basically by a stranger um, there was a there was a, a scuffle a melee she managed to fight him off caught a glimpse of him in the doorway wearing what appeared to be a woman's nightie and then started hammering on the wall and calling for help for her parents who were just in the room next door um and he made his escape at that time Um, her her father came running um was so surprised um that didn't notice that the door was shut and basically ran into him ran into the door um and then was able to help her obviously hugely distressed daughter
0: and this attack um goes unsolved for 30 years basically at this point yeah
2: correct so <clears throat> there was a significant investigation put into it mm. um and the main piece of evidence um was a kimono that mm. was left behind by this intruder it was left and i've seen pictures in court of of this scene it was left in, in in plain sight for anyone who walked into this small bedroom it was a silk kimono with a dragon motif that was left behind um along with some stockings that had appeared to have been knotted and um, they were also left behind um but that was it there wasn't there was n- no um resolution to this break in to this crime for um three decades um And what we know now is this was the start of what is already a a significant Mm. um, series of crimes committed by Bradley Robert Edwards, but what prosecutors say it was the start of what we know is possibly one of the worst series of crimes in the history of Australia if they are all proved.
0: Yeah, and um, obviously we'll get into this later but uh, some of the evidence taken from that crime will be of importance down the track.
2: Very much so, very much so.
0: OK, if we can move forward to a couple of years, to 1990, and a social worker is attacked at Hollywood Hospital. Yes, she was. Um, But at the time,
1: I think it was just seen as a common assault. He was charged as a common assault, so it wouldn't have... Come to the attention of really anybody because those common assaults happen every night in a bar, in a family dispute, and this one was only seen as a sort of a one-off by um, a worker who had snapped because there were some personal issues in his life. Uh, It lasted only a few moments and as scary as it might have been to the victim, I can see in a magistrate's court them just regarding it as just a one-off thing and he was only given probation so therefore it never came to the attention of any of the authorities, it wasn't a sex attack, although at the time there must have been some element because he was put on a sexual offenders program but Otherwise it was disregarded as a common assault and and he didn't rec- obviously let his employers know even though as a workplace it was dismissed as that and so therefore would not have been significant in the great scheme of things.
0: So basically at this stage Bradley Edwards is a Telstra technician. Um, talk us through this attack and what actually happened. He um, was working on
1: some equipment at the Hollywood Hospital. A social worker was sitting there. She said she felt someone grabbed her from behind, put something in her mouth. She was terrified. She thought it was something that had been laced with, and so she didn't dare breathe. He dragged her backwards and apparently was trying to take her into the toilet. But then as quickly as this attack happened, it stopped suddenly, and then he apologised. Now, we have heard evidence later from a security person who interviewed him and said... Um, he was apologising, said, "I don't know what came over me. Uh, I don't. What's going to happen with my work?" And that person said, "Well, that's the least of your worries because you will be charged, as he was." Yes. But then again, it was just seen as a common assault. When I say just common assault, that's. Uh, something that's not really that serious um, in in yes. later charges, and especially not because it was noted as a sexual assault.
0: And as you mentioned, Ali, um, what is interesting, and, and it becomes interesting down the track, is that this attack is never on his work record. Exactly right.
2: Well, uh, it's, there's certainly no records of it in existence that yes. have been produced to court um, um, as evidence so far, and there was a very senior Telstra um, Employee, basically brought over to Perth um, during the trial um, to display all the records relating to Mr Edwards's cars, his pay, his holidays and all that. Um, and the very last question he was asked was whether there was any record of this attack in any of the records that he could search, um, and he said no.
0: OK, let's move forward another five years to 1995 and a very serious um, attack on a 17-year-old girl.
2: Yes, yeah, so this um, is obviously a, a, a big escalation um, from where we've gone from 1988 to 1990. Um, as serious as those assaults were, um, this is on a different level.
1: Terrible, terrible rape and yes. abduction. And I think um, the abduction side of it. Is is really serious that when they deprivation of liberty or the abduction and the way he mm-hmm. grabbed that girl and it wasn't the nor uh, when I say a, a, a like a date rape or or something that this was a very violent.
2: Yeah, I mean this rate. is this is your archetypal horror movie type yes. scenario. Young girl again, teenager walking home after a night out in in Claremont with her friends. She'd taken the decision. Um, I've only got 50 cents left in my pocket. Uh, a mate of mine lives up the road i'll just jog down there and mm-hmm. uh, spend the night there and that's what she was doing it was a 10 minute walk at, at, at most um she's she just straight off the main footpath onto a path through a little park in claremont um, when she was grabbed behind from behind by s- someone a complete stranger and hadn't noticed any threatened up until that point grabbed from behind incapacitated uh
1: over gagged, the head, yeah hooded yes. mm.
2: tied up with her hands behind her back and be- basically completely incapacitated bodily lifted up and placed in a vehicle close by um, where she's placed in the back the perpetrator gets in the front and dr- drives away she um, mm. all she can do is take some notice of her surroundings um, but she has no idea um, where she's going she's with um, and what this person intends to do with her they drive around for about half an hour um, end up in a cemetery um, called karakata cemetery which is only two minutes away from where the actual snatch abduction took place but mm. the, uh, uh, um, the the drive was longer than that she's taken to a very far corner of this cemetery isolated um desolate i mean you can imagine two o'clock in the morning um on, on a uh, february morning and is brutally um, degraded and sexually assaulted um, over some time um, and then is dumped um, in the bushes um, like um, just discarded um, by this person who we now know was Bradley Edwards
1: and then she ironically runs for help to the Hollywood hospital Mm. the very hospital where Bradley Edwards committed that attack Mm. earlier. So she's mind you, the cemetery does stretch from Claremont right through Mm -hmm. to Hollywood Hospital. Mm -hmm. So that was the nearest point, right where he was familiar with that area. And that was when we first heard about Telstra vans from security guys who'd seen a white Telstra van in the area.
2: Yeah, so she manages to somewhat bring herself together although she is still naked from the waist down gets onto the main street and then gets to a phone box calls her father and then manages to get to hollywood hospital um, where she's basically aided and abetted by yeah. the um by the nursing staff there um and
0: police then um are called they take her, they drive around the area, they take her Mm. back to the site they find her clothing where they find Mm. the evidence and again this will become important down the track
2: very much so. Yeah, hugely important Um, we mentioned in a previous podcast not sure that would happen now where you take a a very vulnerable distressed teenage girl back to the scene of where she's been raped not half an hour ago but that's the way it was done back in the day and as it turned out that trip was fruitful because not only did it um, she was able to take them to the exact spot where they were able to get her clothes, which will become important. Um, And the DNA. um, Yeah, and she she was obviously also then able to basically um, reenact it, for want of a better word, on the spot. Um, So they were getting the the victim sort of impact very, very fresh um, from the horse's mouth.
1: And I think the prosecution will emphasise that um, dragging her into bush areas a couple of times at night might become significant yes. um, to the later crimes.
0: Now like the Huntingdale attack this attack also goes unsolved for some 23 years.
2: Yes yes it did and um, it was a major investigation at the time it was a major crime at the time as you can imagine um, but the following year um, we, we've now learned that it became of even more importance um, after another teenage girl went missing off the streets of Claremont um, and unfortunately hasn't been, didn't, hasn't mm. been seen since. Mm.
0: Yeah. That's right. So we're talking now, we've moved forward to the 26th of January 1996 and this is the night that Sarah Spears disappears. So what do we hear about how that night unfolded?
2: Well, um... We've heard a, a lot about Claremont, about the nightclub scene there, about the entertainment district. It was a very popular area for uh, young adults to go and, and spend an evening um, into the morning. Um, and there were two main venues, um, the Continental Hotel, which is a, it's a historic hotel um, on the corner of one of the main Claremont streets. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful old building. Um, and, it, and it and it used to be rocking back in the day, it was busy um, it was popular um, and it was basically the central hub of of the of Claremont and the, the western suburbs of Perth
1: and especially because of Sarah too, she would have gone to school at Iona which is just mm. a, a suburb away and would have been very familiar to her and her friends because it was the neighbourhood place to go. Yes,
0: yeah. it was very very popular, it was buzzing back then and very busy yeah. lots of people out and about.
2: And then less than, you know, five minutes walk 200 metres down the road is um, the place where if, they went, if, you, mm-hmm. if you hadn't finished your night, um, you'd you go, you'd leave the Conti at 12, yep. k- kicking out time and you'd wander down the street and go to Club Bay View, which is um, a nightclub uh, sort of on, on the second story of, a, a, of an, another sort of old building, not quite as historic as the Conti, and that was where you could carry on drinking, dancing, yes. partying, doing whatever you wanted.
0: And then everyone would spill out at two and three o'clock in the morning and and look for a cab
2: that's right and that's exactly what Sarah had done so she'd done Sarah Spears she was 18 as Ali said she was a local girl had been to a college I own a presentation college just at the back Um, she was bright she was bubbly she was sparky Pretty. And she was
1: planning to go back to Mosman Park, from what we hear, because she had spoken to one of mm-hmm. her friend's mm-hmm. mother. She'd had lunch with her that day, and they said, "If you want to crash back here, absolutely." So, we heard that she did call a taxi to
0: go to Mosman That's Park. Right. We've heard about the screams from Mosman Park, and you heard you were also played in court that voice recording of her calling for the cab, exactly. which was the first time that had been heard.
1: Yes, very very chilling hearing her voice asking to go to Mosman Park, which her sister then identified as her voice, mm-hmm. um, and it seems that. She she was taken to Mosman Park because that's where the screams were all triangled from that area where mm. she was she should have gone it's, yeah. a, it's quite a quiet area there's a lot of parks and the river there and on a summer's night um, those screams would have been heard exactly where they w- were Yeah. so seeking, even in 1990
2: yeah. even if we're back in 1996 we've basically been given a very detailed timeline of what e- exactly what Sarah's movements were right up to that last phone call and hearing that last phone call was one of the uh, most poignant moments of the last month worth of evidence we heard it Mm -hmm. on the first day and then we heard it again Um, and to hear her youthful Australian accent obviously quite tired maybe a little bit under the weather at two o'clock in the morning but she was doing the right thing she called a cab um, she wasn't hitchhiking or you know trying to get home on her own she called a cab um, and we've heard from witnesses that said
1: Two minutes or something, wasn't it? It was two cab, minutes
2: yeah. from the call of that cab to that mm. cab getting to the corner. And at some stage, in those 120 seconds, Sarah's disappeared from that corner of 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 the street. Um, and we don't, to this day, we don't know where she is.
0: That's right, or how she got to Mosman Park. But as Ali mentioned, we do have multiple witnesses who were woken by... Three, three, very and, and they screams. describe these screams yes. as blood curdling. Yes. Um, and there's also um, they see a car or the headlights of a car. They hear a car as well. That's right. Yes.
2: Yeah. And uh, yeah, they are triangulated, so they three different types of points in Mosman Park, but they all seem to triangulate to a, a particular phone box that it's that's been um, basically pinpointed by the prosecution as where they say that these screams emanated from um and probably most crucially of all those scream witnesses or the scream series witnesses that there was a labeled one of them was so concerned that whether he went out on his balcony mm. looked towards where he s- thought he saw the scream, h- heard the scream coming from and saw a car a white station wagon with distinctive tail lights that he remembered that he could see um in the distance which was there, and then literally pulled away as um, he was watching it. He
1: noticed it because it was facing the wrong way mm-hmm. too. So he's familiar with yes. looking out on his, his street, as you would know, it was facing the wrong wrong way. Yeah. Mm.
0: Okay, so in Perth at the time, there's a big campaign. People are looking for Sarah Spears. Have you seen Sarah? Um, if there's any information, get in contact with us. While this campaign is going on, less than five months later, another girl disappears.
2: Yeah, um, so the Spears family were very well known down south. The father Don is a sheep shearer and and he was very um, vocal, very um, proactive in trying to get information.
1: Oh, we were involved with him every night. We yeah. were going out searching in areas. It was, he. they were putting pamphlets around. They knew instantly she just hadn't gone away run away very very close-knit family so they were onto it straight away Um, and the police were too Mm -hmm. it was seen as not just like a runaway it was instant and don didn't let up we were walking through bushland every weekend we had psychics calling who you sort of discarded and then you thought oh well maybe they're right and we'd go through other water tunnels and so forth and they even used the police cadets at one stage to look at a lake because somebody had called in and said they thought that's where the body was it was very very intensive
2: yeah and, and then in June 1996 as Nat yeah. mentioned that intensity just you know increased tenfold when Jane. another young lady uh, 23 childcare worker beautiful blonde no problems in problems in her private life, close family, living with her sister. Um,
1: and exactly very, the same. Look th- quite like her. The yeah. two of them look a similarity. Look, a similarity, similarity absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Mm. Um, Baby-faced, mm. if, if you wanted to call it mm. that way. And she she vanishes. Um, she went for a drink with her mum at the Shenton Park Hotel, where her mum worked. Um, was due to have a haircut in the morning. Um, she had a bit had her haircut and blow dried in the morning. Uh, just a normal weekend activity um went out with her friends and then again um left the hotel and one minute was there and the next minute she
1: was and again on a long weekend too yes yeah the june long weekend yeah Mm. and so And and
2: then so and it's those type of similarities the geographical similarities the physical similarities the timing the weekend that immediately um it becomes evident that something more than just women going missing is, is, is going on.
0: Yes. Now, this is when in court you are shown footage, never seen before, mm. of Jane at in the Claremont area. Yeah.
1: That's right, yes. And um, we can't uh, reveal exactly what that is because the judge has not allowed some of the vision to come out. We've seen grainy pictures of Jane... Um, in the Continental Hotel, but far more um, graphic vision of her at Club Bayview, mm-hmm. which um, has not been. We've seen it in the court, yeah. But um, certainly showing her movements, and again showing the girls moving from one area to the other, which is not a far. It's not a lot big area. Mm-hmm. It's just around the corner, and they did drift backwards and forwards. So. We have certainly seen those movements, very happy. Others have said she's been sad, but I think they had been drinking a lot, and you see teen, they get yes. sort of maudlin one minute and then very happy the next as they've been drinking. In fact, you see her walking down, swaying a bit down mm. yeah. the road. In fact, she actually veered onto the road at one stage mm-hmm. and someone has to pull her back a bit. But yeah. um,
2: and, we've, and we've talked about plotting Sarah's movements. Um, Jane's movements could be plotted on that evening, certainly when she gets to the Conti and afterwards... Be in such detail because so many different angles and different cameras had captured mm-hmm. her inside, outside, talking, dancing, even sort of you know falling down the stairs at one point. Mm. Um, and there was, as Ali mentioned, there was some evidence about that at one point she got a bit teary and a bit maudlin during the evening. She, you know, like, I'm fat and you know no one yeah. likes me. But a a friend comforted her and she went back inside and the night seemed to be g- going swimmingly um, and that last glimmer glimpse on the cctv quickly explain it there mm. the, were four cameras and they were on a 13 second rotation so it wasn't continuously filming in one spot um, and so the last piece of footage we see gene is leaning on the uh, on a on a pole outside the, the the continental and then the camera flicks and it flicks and it flicks again Um, and then she's gone gone. yeah and it's a gap of 32 seconds Mm. between the time that she's there and the time that she's not Um, there are theories about what happened to her afterwards but um, what this trial is all about is proving what the prosecutors think happened actually did happen.
1: And very distressing for her friends too who are testifying what if what if they tried to persuade her to get Mm -hmm. into the taxi the same as later on with Kira's friends persuaded her to go into the Claremont area in the first place and they're giving evidence now recalling what happened and uh, very very sad and traumatic for them.
0: Mm. Yeah so the last uh, vision we see of Jane is just after midnight Mm -hmm. then in a suburb 40 minutes south of Perth again residents awoken by these terrible blood curdling screams one long scream
1: they said this time which stopped mid-scream yeah um, but loud enough to wake both um heavy sleepers and light sleepers and all from that same area where she was later found
2: yeah so this is um, a a suburb called wellard which is it's quite a built-up suburb now but back um, back in 1996 it was semi-rural at best um, but there were houses there, but only a few. Um, and again, the, the 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 chilling similarities and and the overlap that that, that come with these three murders um, continue to come. Be- and this is this is basically fresh in the last four weeks that there were two scream or two different areas, different residents at different sides of the sort of Wellard main road that had heard a s- similar screams on the same night loud enough to wake them and you know intense enough to really concern them it it, it was this wasn't just you know someone you know, playfully screaming this was a this was a chilling scream that they heard and they both remembered uh, enough at the time to report it and they both remembered enough 20 something years on to to recall it um in in quite gripping and well the one detail. couple
1: were right across the road from where they were mm. and they. Th- she said she actually heard words yes. to the extent of like stop and let me go Yeah, leave me, leave alone. me, alone, me alone type of let words me yeah. and their bedroom window was really just across the road from again a car th- she said she saw and she thought she saw a movement again in the bushes mm-hmm. um, but then
0: they didn't do anything about it until later
1: either right. no,
0: no. so 55 days later since Jane's disappeared this extraordinary set of circumstances leads to um, a lady finding her body.
2: Again yeah just bizarre um, fate if you want to call it that um, a chicken a chicken, a chicken yes. I mean a chicken across runs, the runs across
1: the road and you slam on the brakes right at the very area where they stop and the kids want to get out and chase mm. the chicken. And, and Dad then, lets
0: them. Mm. which Or yeah, Dad, well. Dad lets them because he's running around. And yeah.
1: They live in the area, so yeah. it's not like it's that distant to them. And then at the same time, Mum spots these what she calls death lilies and gets out. And, and that's where she stumbles. Literally, she felt something on the back of her leg after being attracted to a very, very um, big uh, lily. And she said the biggest she'd ever seen. And then she feels something on the back of her leg, which she feels is a stick brushing against her. And it's Jane's foot. And that was, you know, really just... She broke down, actually, um, describing this.
2: Well, I mean, I I said yesterday it was heartbreaking, and it was. It was just heartbreaking to see the immediate impact. You could literally see um, Tammy Evans, her name is... The moment that she had to recall that moment, her face crumpled, um, and we all, everyone in court... Um, would have felt her pain I think um, but n- no more than um, Jane's family um, her sister Lee who was there to, mm-hmm. to, to hear um, that account um, for herself
0: and also coincidentally there are a couple of people riding horses mm. at the same time and they come across a knife on the ground while this lady is in the bushes and that will become significant later, also.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, again, another astonishing coincidence um, that these two, uh, there was a nearby, there was a <clears throat> there was a riding stables quite nearby. They'd been on a ride, um, and almost at exactly the same time as Jane's body was being discovered meters down the road, they were riding along and spotted a knife. That, that looked completely out of place in this sort of rural setting a, a, a flick knife or a, a, you know a fold-out knife wooden handle that was in very good condition and and was you know stuck out enough for both of them to see it and for one of the riders to basically pocket it and then they continued down the road after finding this knife to come across the scene where Jane's body had just been discovered and um, And so it would appear that, or certainly we know how long Jane had been there, how long that knife has been there and what significance it might play um, has has yet to play out um, completely um, during the
1: trial.
0: Yeah. Okay, so moving forward nine months later in 1997, a third girl goes
1: missing. That's right. Um, Kira Glennon, uh, a young lawyer... A woman. ...who had just returned from being overseas, trekking around overseas and returns to her family home for her sister's wedding um, goes into Claremont with a group of her work colleagues and uh, tired uh, just again vanishes from that very same area.
2: Yeah um, once again articulate um, good family attractive professional um, not the type of woman that just disappears and mm. um, but we now know that she's the third of, of th- this type of woman that has disappeared.
1: And you can still feel, feel too, she's again from the area, feels very, very comfortable in the area. She's just come back from some of the trekking around some of the most dangerous spots of South America, yes. comes back to her neighbourhood with her friends and would feel quite comfortable and I would say wouldn't be as on guard as you would in some of the countries that she'd been visiting and hitchhiking. Mm. So she comes back here and we've heard different accounts of her reaction to um, what we called the uh, three burger boy witnesses who warned her about when they saw her leaning into a car and she gestures with her hand just backwards like as one of them said, Oh, mind your own business, it doesn't matter, she's okay. But again, mm. she's feeling com- quite comfortable. Yes. So this is uh, being lulled into the old sort of false security of a very comfortable neighbourhood that perhaps, and not knowing exactly, she'd only been back a week, the fear that was being generated around that area
0: being tired and she just wanted to get home. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you hear in court from several witnesses who see her on that night and describe a woman looking matching the description Absolutely, of Kira. Yeah. yeah. And some of these witnesses say they see her leaning into a white car.
2: Yeah, so there were twelve sightings in all of, of from people who think they saw Kira. Basically from the moment that she left the continental um, and left her friends because she was tired you know she's probably a bit travel weary she had a, an appointment the, the next day to prepare for her sister's hen night right up until the moment that we the prosecutors say um, that she's in this c- she's got into this car and 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 her movements are tracked all the way uh, down baby terrace onto sterling highway um various um, people see her with her jacket round her waist um, walking briskly, and then we get to the, the this final sighting, which is right on uh, outside Hungry Jack's, or Burger King, as, mm-hmm. as it's known elsewhere in the in the world. Three men who al- also enjoyed, uh, you know, probably one or two too many drinks, <laughs> um, and are enjoying a, a, a you know a midnight munch at a bus stop, and they see the g- this this woman walking on her own. Right across the road from them. Right across the road Mm. from them and are so you know, perturbed, disturbed uh, to see a young woman, one of them who says she, he thinks she saw her hitchhiking, that they say to her, you're mad, what are you doing that for? Were you crazy? And she just waves them off. Yeah. And then maybe 150 metres 200 metres down the road, after they've seen this quite distinctive car drive past, one of them sees who we think is Kira leaning into this car, and once again, that's, the, that's the last mm. that anyone yeah. sees her alive.
0: Two weeks after Kira disappears, another bizarre coincidence uh, a man is walking through the bush and he comes across a body. That's right, um he was
1: a little bit reluctant to say what he was doing <laughs> in the bush because he was looking for some cannabis plants. It was all sort of brushed over, but he instead of finding the cannabis um, plants that he was looking for, he um, discovered Kira's body. He was alerted by the i think Find an odor mm, by the smell, and um, found Kira yeah you
2: know? um, again, you know bizarre circumstance. By chance. Sliding door Mm. 10 metres, you know, 10 minutes further down the road. Maybe he doesn't make that discovery, but he did. Um, There was some chuckling about what he was there for, um, but that wasn't really the point of his evidence. The point of his evidence was to describe the moment that he did find Kira.
1: A lot of these witnesses are quite uncomfortable um, being called. Uh, they're also being asked to recall. Someone said to me, well, why aren't they uh, sticking to their statements? I said, well, they can't. They've actually tried to to remember Mm. what they actually saw that night Mm. and what their statements said way back 23 years ago. Mm. And of course, there are inconsistencies and memory lapses. Uh, Of course, the ones who found the body remember exactly what happened. Um, But they're not all that comfortable giving evidence. He was a little bit Um, upset uh, at the attention I suppose later on but um,
2: But, um, the moment after he finished giving his evidence and he walked past and just took a moment to um, shake Kira's father's Dennis's hand hand. as he walked Mm. past um, just as a a conciliatory um, moment that that sort of encapsulated for me what we all feel towards all the families of the of the women that have that have gone missing and and died um because as uh, as interesting and as fascinating as the the trial has been um always um at the back of everyone's mind is what it what it means to those families Mm -hmm. and what it uh, is is the effect that it's probably having on those families um, today and over Christmas and for the, for the months to come.
1: And Dennis Glennon actually mouths thank you as they walk past mm-hmm. to them, mm-hmm. yeah, as, because he's in the front row there and he does acknowledge them as they've come forward and given their evidence
0: So what follows next is basically the biggest police investigation in Australian history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then, then something happens in December 2016 that nobody saw coming Absolutely. That's where
1: your, um, your I guess, your cold case detectives uh, came into light who were reviewing, and yeah. they went back. And, of course, the technology has probably improved over the years where they are able to detect things that they weren't able to before. They go back, and they match the uh, kimono yeah. uh, DNA to Bradley Edwards, but only after... Uh, following him and finding a sprite bottle, which yeah. again is a very mundane thing to find, but they managed to get the DNA off a sprite bottle that he had discarded while he went to the movies.
2: Yeah. Yes. So there's the, the, um, the, there are, I mean, just to brush over it from sort of mm. 97 to 2016, yep. well, this investigation was enormous, is enormous. Um, and over the years trying to get information out some information out of those detectives has, has has been very very difficult they've been they over all that span of time they were very reluctant to release any detail um, unless they wanted it out there and that was the same on december the 22nd 2016. there were wo- there were whispers there were rumors th- that something really really big was happening in Cudell, which is mm-hmm. another uh, outer suburb of Perth you know working class middle class um, media started to gather but the police were saying absolutely nothing um, there were some pictures of a, of a chap being let out um, there were more rumours I remember getting a call at home from my chief of staff saying mate we think you might need to be in court very very early in the morning for something very very important and lo and behold basically the f- at first dawn on the 23rd um, we were given um, notice that a media conference was being held with basically every top brass police officer you could think of we gathered at Police HQ and the then Police Commissioner Carlo Callahan said that, that an arrest had been made uh, in connection with Operation Macro which is the Claremont investigation and a person had been charged with the murders of Jane Rimmer and Kira Lennon along with um, an alleged rape in Karakatta in February 95 and a break-in and assault in the Huntingdale in 1988 and I will never forget where I was when I when I heard that because I was right there and I will never forget r- racing up the Terrace St George's Terrace which is the main road in going through Perth CBD so I could be at um, Perth Magistrates Court for 10am where Bradley Robert Edwards made his first appearance he was read those charges and we all got our first look at basically the man who the state say is the Claremont serial killer
1: yes now because I-, I remember Susanna Carr calling me too because Susanna went to Iona and we thought this was one case that was never ever mm-hmm. going to be resolved
2: Uh, Susanna Carfer, the listeners who aren't at Perth, is our um, beloved newsreader here at (laughs) Channel 7. sorry. Um, World record breaking (laughs)
0: newsreader. Um,
2: But also one of the most respected broadcast people um, in Australia. Um, And would have been sat yeah, at the desk yeah, mm. uh, every night when, yeah. when these girls w- went missing, the young women were missing. No, we were missing.
1: actually from Claremont. We were, we were telecasting she out have, of Claremont, yeah. She's reported mm. on mm. this
2: case basically as long as Ali mm. has, which is a long time. Yeah, um, And, uh, yeah, and um, would have been on the desk on that day. Mm. In fact, she was. I, mean, I, rem- mm. I remember seeing the report. Yeah. Um, as Ali said, it was a day that I think... Uh, hundreds of thousands of people in Western Australia thought would never happen, that someone would be arrested and charged. Um, And and three years later, I think that sense, somewhat sense of disbelief that this is actually happening, it's still there.
0: Now, uh, Bradley Edwards denied all of the charges initially?
2: He did. He did. Um, Not immediately, um, because with a case of this magnitude, obviously, um, vast amounts of legal advice would have been taken before um, he did. But eventually, so first he's uh, he's charged with the two murders um it takes another couple of years for him to be charged with sarah's murder and that's basically um due to sarah's body not being found so that's a circumstantial case so it would would have taken prosecutors longer to basically pull that case together but he is um he pleads guilty to uh, not guilty to all three Mm -hmm. and the rape and the break-in at huntingdale um and basically the biggest trial criminal trial in Western Australia's history is set down which is three murders a rape and a very serious break in so um, that's that, that's where we were we were at basically for a long time until a couple of weeks before the trial of the century was due to start
0: and the trial of the century is delayed because there's a change in some of the plays.
2: Yeah well it was delayed a couple of times. Yes. Um, the first was because there was more evidence coming in um, or more uh,
1: it was an investigation on the run, right up to the very last oh. minute, with the evidence still coming in and trying to. And the judge was 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 absolutely quite good to allow it to be delayed because I thought some of those things mm. he could have perhaps made a decision on the spot with no jury. Yeah. But he did allow them time for more fibre evidence to be brought forward, and it stopped, start stop start for a while there, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And
2: then um, we we're all expecting to just turn up for a what had become quite a regular pre-trial hearing. Um, and then we got a whisper, another whisper, early in the morning, or I did sort of overnight, that there might be some, might be some major development happening. And it turns out that uh, Mr. Edwards um, pleaded guilty to the break-in at Huntingdale, and that horrible rape in 1995, leaving him basically pleading not guilty to the three murders.
0: So that's basically. Um the timeline of events from the beginning till the end. And we hope that that has helped of you, those of you following the podcast to solidify that timeline and understand exactly where it is and how we've got to where we are. We are setting up a page on thewest.com.au for all the exhibits and photos that Justice Hall has released to the media. So if you haven't seen them yet, just keep an eye out for those and we'll have those available over the next few days on thewest.com.au. And we'll be back Monday, 6th of January, when the court resumes. In the meantime, stay tuned for any extra bonus episodes of Claremont in Conversation.
1: This podcast was hosted by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy, and recorded in the studios
2: of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont Trial
0: at the West.com.au.